0: Thanks for popping on here, man. Absolutely, absolutely. Anytime.
1: Um, For those who don't know, my name is Jake Fisher. I'm an NBA reporter at Bleacher Report. Um, Pleased to be joined today by my buddy, Tim Cato, who has been described as both a hipster and an egomaniac, but I just know him as a good reporter of the Dallas Mavericks um, for The Athletic. Tim, how's Salt Lake City treating you?
0: I think a uh, narcissist, not egomaniac, was the, uh, was the preferred <laughs> terminology there. Salt Lake City's okay, man. Um, I can see the mountains from my hotel room, which is always a nice thing. Um, I don't see any beehives around here. So the Sheraton <laughs> is not where Rudy Gobert got stung today. But it's a nice place. I actually was, I was talking with someone this morning at Shootaround and uh, they were saying that a lot of NBA players come to Utah, uh, come to the Jazz, and when they leave, they keep their houses. Like a a good proportion of them, a, a good number of them, because they buy out in Park Slopes or Park Cities, I should say, yeah. and it's just a beautiful place to be. You know, it's 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 the same concept of as as having a uh, a beach house, but you know, you're right in the mountains and. In the snow, and it's just, it's, you know, this Sheraton specifically, not the most beautiful place I've ever been, <laughs> but I can imagine that the further up you get into the park cities and into the, into the actual slopes, it's just, it's just gorgeous. So if I was an NBA player, I would probably also buy a house, leave the jazz, keep the house, have some bees. Those are all things that are on my, on my wish list. So so you're
1: saying, Tim Kato, on the record, that if you were a member of the Utah Jazz, you would happily leave the franchise like so many players have? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, like <laughs> Gordon. I would Gordon Hayward it. But I'd keep my house. I mean, that's kind of a good place to start here. Like, you, bit, you were at games three and four. You're there now. I mean, I, I hear what I hear on the league, but I'm not there on the ground. Like, is it palpable, the kind of feeling of what's at stake for this Utah Jazz team during the series? Uh, a
0: little bit, a little bit. Um, I think the Jazz feel that the chemistry issues have been overblown to an extent.
1: Yeah. Obviously, um, obviously yeah, they feel it, that way. Of
0: course, of course. And, you know, I, I mean, I guess, I guess it's a matter of perception and how much are they perceiving this chemistry stuff to be an issue? Like I, I don't think they truly have any issue playing with each other. But it's also not overblown to say that this is the last gasp of a of a team whose core has been around for several seasons now, assuming Dallas does win the series. I don't I don't think anybody would deny that changes are coming this off season and then very possibly at the deadline, you know, it it might be kind of a two-step thing where, you know, they changes happen to the team this summer with Donovan and Rudy staying as the focal point. But if that doesn't work, you know, you're really looking at the deadline as, you know, a a time for something more dramatic to happen for, for one of these core pieces, one of these two stars they've built around for so long. You know, I, I think that, everybody understands that. And, you know, just listening to people talk about the jazz, you know, hearing how people invested in the jazz are talking about them. There was certainly real, real disappointment and frustration, especially after game three, after Utah, you know, the jazz came back to Utah tied one, one. And once again, lost a, lost a game without a, Without Luka Doncic playing, and so I, you know, what their perception is of how much they're being talked about, these chemistry issues are being talked about, the, you know, very real possibility that this team's future is, is fading, is is on a is on a ticking clock, um, you know, I think it's all true. Yeah, the degree to which it's true, I, I'm sure, it could be argued and quibbled with, but. But, yeah, just being here, it's its definitely – everybody knows. Everybody understands. I, I don't think there's any doubt about that.
1: Well, the Jazz were clearly shopping around for wings at the deadline. And, I mean, Joe Ingles' injury kind of put the nail in the coffin of his time there. And it both guaranteed he was going to get traded, because I don't think it was a guarantee at a certain point. I do think – I mean – at last year's draft, he was being talked about with teams, and the Jazz held on to him. He's an integral member of their core, culture setter, veteran guy. He's been there. He, he sets the tone. I mean, I've spoken with him a handful of times. I don't know the guy personally, but everyone around the league really likes Joe Ingles. Very Do you upbeat, think he has bees at his positive house? positive guy. I don't know if he has bees at his house. I don't think I, he I, does. I bet he does. He seems like a guy who would have bees at his house. <laughs> For those who are not aware of the, the bee reference, uh, Rodrigo Bear, do a little Google, Twitter search, what have you. His face has been ballooned by being stung by at least one bee from the beehive that he keeps at his house. Um, I am a honey proponent myself, or a proponent of honey myself. I put some honey in two cups of tea I had this morning, Tim Cato. But Wow um i ha- would never really seek the opportunity to have a beehive especially tending it before a critical game of this magnitude that we're discussing
0: <laughs> yeah i hear you i hear you
1: um
0: two cups of tea
1: are, are you uh are you an like english breakfast blend tea guy um this morning i talking? just had a just had a quick uh, bag of raspberry but uh, typically, oh, okay. get some more some more intense flavors with the whole little pot and everything. Um, but back to the you see... task.
0: Oh, I, I, want, I, I have one more sidebar on this on this uh, B story, uh, this B catastrophe. Um, did you see the image? Um, I saw the image without context, and <laughs> I did see the, it in, in the this. I guess it was Snapchat where Rudy posted that uh, medium that I guess is still relevant. Uh, the caption he had on it, I, I, I saw the, I saw like a glance at the photo and as I was scrolling, I was, you know, like halfway through a workout or something. I don't know. So I didn't look at it long. I didn't notice that his face was swollen. All I saw was the caption and I thought the caption was a subtweet of something of like, presumably his teammates. (laughs) And because it said something like it, it be your own bees who get you or something, something funny like that. And I'm like, oh man, is he is he saying something cryptic about his teammates? And it, it is just <laughs> referencing the, the, all the drama that we were just discussing that's swirling around Utah. And it was only an hour later, I was like, wait, he got stung? <laughs> and I look at the image again, and I'm like, okay, no. This caption was very straight, it, it was very literal. It, it just was easy to read it in a, in a half second that I saw it as uh, being something cryptic and, and referencing uh, all this jazz chemistry stuff. So I thought that was funny.
1: And to be fair, like, all the pushback Jazz people gave it all – like, I remember I texted someone with the Jazz on the coaching staff after the Game 4 win, the lob from Donovan to Rudy, and I said something to the effect of, like, even me, an NBA cynic, like, I couldn't help but shed a tear and smile for those guys after all of the shit they've been through here. And he was like, no, I mean, what 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 should have they been through? Like, it's kind of, it is kind of – it's noteworthy, I think, to the degree of how much they don't – They they try to pour cold water on that notion, but um, to bring it back to the Joe Ingles point, which I was going to bring it back to Dallas, um, when Joe was bit by the injury bug, like that segue, um, and he tore his ACL, um, I think it both increased the likelihood that he got dealt, which he obviously ultimately did, Um, But also lowered the value of what the Jazz could get back for him. And the the word since last year's draft when his name first started popping up was that the Jazz had just been in dire need and uh, are looking to acquire veteran wings who can be better defenders on the perimeter. And um, and they didn't didn't do that. They they got back Nikhil Walker or Alexander Walker, um, who represents like a former first-round pick, like a young – uh, lottery ish talent that, like, they didn't have on their roster to attach with Joe Ingles and a first to go get someone like a Jeremy Grant. Um, so that was a good addition for like the general, uh, roster construction, asset collection, whatever you want to call it for Utah. Um, but it left them susceptible on the perimeter, which to me, it seems been something that has, has, has been a, a key factor here in this, uh, series with Dallas. Oh
0: yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's the game plan that Dallas used for three, for three games without Luka was almost, almost cynical. It was we're going to isolate Donovan Mitchell as many times as we possibly can and he can't guard Jalen Brunson and he can't really guard Spencer Dinwiddie and that's the success that the Mavericks had Uh, that's why they won two of the first three games. And honestly, you know, clearly the series is now in a, still in a good place for Dallas up three, two with a chance to close out. But as you know, a lot of us, it wasn't just me, but I I certainly was one person after game four, which they lost, um, you know, by a point, I thought that they, they Luca wasn't as cynical and he wasn't as, you know, just hell-bent on getting those mismatch switches every single possession, just hunting them ruthlessly. And that's why, you know, the Mavericks had really three subpar offensive quarters uh, to go along with a third quarter where they scored like 38 points or something like that. And I thought that they could have won that game as well if, if they had really, really targeted and kept pushing – you know those in seeking out those mismatches because it's just very clear that Utah doesn't doesn't have the perimeter cast that they they need to be a a you know a defense of this level. Um, you know it's it's the whole Rudy Gobert thing. It's not Rudy Gobert's fault. It's it's the defenders around him. And when you know, in, in a lot of ways, Utah has built their team around Rudy on the defensive side in the same way that. Dallas has built around Luca on the offensive side where Rudy is the guy who, you know, uh, you know, rising tides, raise all boats, you know, he amplifies the defensive ability um, of everybody around him on that end. When he's able to play this drop coverage and able to roam around the paint and cover up mistakes. But, you know, when Dallas has found ways to punish that um, and when Luca, I thought, you know, Luca did a better job in game five. We saw it in, in moments in game four where he's also looking for the Rudy switch only to occupy Rudy. You know, there's instances where Luca would get the switch and he loves the challenge of going right at a premier defender like Rudy Gobert. And he's had success against him. You know, he's hit threes over him. He's at one point in game five, he just blew right by him for a layup, you know, a straight line drive layup. Um, but I think there's also a, val- a lot of value in, in success that Dallas has had, and you know, using Luca and using that matchup to pull Rudy out, and then a quick swing to, let's say, Jalen Brunson, guarded by somebody who can't keep up with his, you know, first step, and then Jalen's getting right to the rim, or he's getting right to his to his preferred shot, and he knows that, you know, help isn't coming that that their that their defense amplifier and Gobert is is out on the perimeter guarding you know, the most dangerous player on the court who is, who is always going to be Luca. So, you know, it's, it's really just, you know, Dallas has so many answers. Dallas has so many solutions and answers and ways to neutralize what the jazz do well. And I, I I just view this series. I've viewed the series all along as, as one that Dallas has more answers for. Um, And it's just, you know, you can call it a bad matchup or, or just say that Dallas is a more talented team. Like, you know, who's to say which, you know, it's some combination of those two, obviously. But uh, it's why I've been so bullish on Dallas winning this series because, you know, they just have so many more solutions that I don't think the Jazz even really have adjustments for. And, and, I, and I don't really expect, you know, there's a couple things I could envision them doing in game six. But for the most part, I, I don't really anticipate Utah having a lot of answers to all of the success Dallas has had on various and in, in many parts of the floor and at neutralizing many things that Utah does so well.
1: Yeah, it's and the, the Jazz defense has been particularly fascinating, being that I mean, Donovan was a defensive guy, that was his calling card as a prospect. And yeah, I remember, I remember being. Higher on him than most, and I was at Sports Illustrated at the time. I forget what draft that was because I'm old now and i not as sharp as I used to be. I'm pretty um, sure
0: 2017.
1: I was gonna say I'm pretty sure it's 2017, and I'm looking because at he was in the same draft here. as Dennis Smith. Yes, the 13th pick. Um, I remember talking to people on the league, um, telling Jeremy Wu, the draft expert at SI at the time, because him and I the were great, Jeremy Wu great Jeremy Wu, saying that, I was like, this guy's clearly a top-five caliber pick. Like, the defense is there, and he the athleticism was obvious, and he showed flashes of the shooting and the playmaking that I thought would become what it is today, which has all happened. But miraculously, as he's taken, you know, all these massive leaps on the offensive side of the ball, the defense just isn't there. And, like, I'm not a coach – I'm not an analyst to that degree, like I'm curious why, and I haven't really watched him too too much in person because he plays in Utah and I live in New York um The jazz only come to the city twice a year, so like I haven't really been able to give an earnest assessment as to like what the issues are like from someone who's covered the series now. Like what what are his shortcomings on that side of the ball? Is it really just effort like a James Harden type situation, or is it something more worse and something that' needs to be given more glaring attention as the jazz try to build out this team better? that's a really hard
0: question to answer, but I agree with your assessment i mean he's he's you know he's got to be one of the top, probably one of the ten most athletic players in the nBA right His athleticism is sensational. Like he like he is a he is an outlier in so many ways. He has a six ten wingspan. And you know, he might only be six two, but you know, he he should be someone who plays larger than he is. And and when he has these, you know, when he cuts through the lane and dunks unexpectedly, like you see every part of that, you know, just just truly jaw-dropping athleticism. I and mean, there's no reason it shouldn't translate to the other end uh to me it looks like uh, in a lot of instances and in the worst in his worst defensive moments it looks like bad technique um you know i guess you could maybe call it lazy technique you know uh, effort i'm sure effort has to be a part of this it definitely is to an extent uh we there, there are you know some some moments of his defensive struggles that have popped up throughout the series some of the most I don't want to say viral, they're very niche viral, but, you know, moments where Mavericks writers have, you know, identified them. You know, I remember one where it it was another pick and roll that he was supposed to switch and he just had no interest in doing it. And, you know, he didn't help Rose O'Neill at all. He stuck with his guy, the screener, and Rose O'Neill had to fight over and then was trailing the play. And Rudy Gobert helps into the paint. I think this was game three, and it's a it's a kick out pass to Dory and Finney Smith in the corner. He actually misses that shot, but just the the lack of interest from Donovan, who granted this was late in the fourth quarter and he had been picked on relentlessly this game. Um, you know, but but that's that's not an excuse for just being like, oh, I don't want that to happen again. Like you still have to try. So there there's definitely moments of effort we've seen. There's another moment where he you know, is is uh, closing out on Spencer Dinwiddie on the perimeter. And his closeout is just way too strong. And he kind of gets and plants his feet and Spencer just goes right by him for a layup. Um, and so I, I think there's some effort. I, I think there's some um, mentality of I'm the best offensive player on this team. And I'm, you know, it's not as important for me to be the to be the defensive you know to be a defensive leader or, or i don't need to pay as much attention to that side of the ball but but I, I think he's let you know maybe those things have influenced the fact that his technique is just not as good as it should be you know he doesn't close out well he's not in a defensive stance a lot of the times um you know I, so again I, I i would have to i would also have to watch a lot more donovan with with a real focus on on what he's doing wrong to tell you exactly where these issues are coming up and talk to people. But, you know, I, I think it's some combination of all of that. And it, it, I think it's easy to see how the mentality of being a team's offensive leader and believing that's who you are uh, at the expense of your defense could then seep into technical defensive uh, shortcomings that that have affected, affected his game over the years.
1: Yeah. Um, well, one person he and the entire Jazz defense has struggled to cover all series is obviously the Jalen Brunson, who has probably the most interesting free agency discussion surrounding a single player entering this offseason. Um, I don't know if it, it's actually going to be, because depending on some people you talk to, he's a done deal to the Knicks, right? They've been saying that for years. Then they hear all about Detroit, and I think like two, three weeks ago, from scouts, from agents, from executives, from coaches, like the word was pretty resounding, oh, Detroit is going to make a big play for Jalen Brunson. I would be surprised if Jalen Brunson wasn't going to Detroit. And then now as the playoffs have begun and he's done what he's done, and I remember from several times being in Dallas, Tim, for Eagles-Cowboys games and other reasonings for being down there, whenever I popped over to the training facility down there, and watch Jalen and Luka and other guys play one-on-one with only a couple dribbles. That's a, that's a thing a lot of staffs do, right? You get three yeah. dribbles. Jamal Mose, I remember, would pop in there sometimes and defend the guys. Um, I remember telling people on the league, like, Jalen Brunson might be one of the better one-on-one scorers in the NBA. And people kind of laughed at me because, I mean, you, you don't think about him as having, like, a breakdown handle or obviously he doesn't have blazing quickness or strength or whatever. And he just has the footwork and a different pacing and timing that, I mean, he could score around Rudy. He can score over Donovan. He just, he just does it all. Um, And, and the word now has been about, Oh, you know, Dallas is going to do what they can to, to retain him and to keep him. But I mean, there's just, there's just so many different outcomes that could come into play there, depending on what his real interest is, depending on, which teams can create, I mean, which team being the Knicks, like can they make, you know, there are people around the NBA, um, one person in particular who used to work in this Knicks front office, um, who told me that he believed the Alec Burke's Neurons Noel trade talk at this deadline was specifically to clear crap space to sign Jalen Brunson. The Pistons are going to have um, a different uh, – you know, salary opportunity than Dallas. Like the Mavericks are probably going to be third in terms of how much money they can offer this guy. I mean, sure, you'll have the Texas state tax stuff, which has always kind of been a pitch and a, and a ploy that Mark Cuban's team has thought they've had in their pocket. But as you know, Tim, hasn't really worked so well in the free agency world uh, the last decade or so. So, I don't well, know. That, that's my preamble to just uh, tip you and uh, see what you all say. <laughs> yeah. I mean, let's, let's, uh, here in a sec, let's
0: talk about Detroit and New York as potential destinations and kind of, uh, speculate what that could look like and why, why Jalen would go there. But first, you know, my understanding of how the Mavericks feel is that when I ask people about it, uh, they're confident they're going to retain him. There really doesn't seem to be a lot of doubt. I've, no, I've, I've, uh, I've been told before about certain things that the team is very confident about and, and then, uh, you know, it doesn't come to pass. So that, that only means so much, but I will, I will say the team isn't looking at the summer and looking at Brunson's for agency and being like, Oh, well, it's going to be really tough to keep him. You know, that's not the words that are being circulated around the franchise right now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, yeah, it's a they're confident. They're confident. yeah, They're confident. They're going to retain them. I can also tell you that Jalen wants to stay, In Dallas, he really likes Dallas. He really likes playing with Luca. He likes his fit with Luca. I I do not believe that he is someone who views himself as needing to leave Dallas or you know even per se leaving the shadow of Luca to continue his career. And honestly, I I couldn't. This is just speculation, but but I could imagine those first few games of uh, you know this series without Luca. Um, you know, I guess it could go either way. But but my hunch knowing Jalen and knowing how he feels is that, you know, he feels that that's probably a good thing for him staying in Dallas that, you know, he I, I don't again, I don't believe that he feels he must be a lead guard somewhere or that that's part of his desire. I know he loves Dallas. I know, I know that, uh, you know, if, if the money is even, then I'm almost certain he's coming back to Dallas. Um, Dallas has his bird rights. They can offer him five years. So, you know, you know, you, you say other teams might have financial advantages. They might in the sense that they're, they value him higher, but I don't think, you know, there, there's nothing Dallas, there's no reason Dallas couldn't keep him if he wanted, if they wanted to. I don't believe Jalen wanting to run his own team. And again, if you went to Detroit, he'd be right back in a very similar situation with Cade Cunningham as, as the you know, the heliocentric offensive player, you know, maybe Jalen, Jalen would be a few steps ahead of, uh, of Cade in terms of his career. Uh, so maybe he'd have more room to carve out a more concrete role as a 1A, 1B star, but I don't know how much different it would be. You know, it'd basically be taking a a somewhat similar situation to Luca and, but, but taking a step back in terms of where the team is at in terms of rebuilding and, and playing in the postseason.
1: Um, you know. Well, so, so. I'll, I'll stop. I'll stop you there, just to okay. say. To me, I think a difference would be. I use this example all the time, and I probably have to come up with another one because now it's a bit outdated. But like, would he want to be the David West signing with Paul George's Indiana Pacers and be that veteran guy who this young group kind of looks at and as as their leader, as someone who's been there before and kind of the OG of the group who can be the, the wise man and say, this is how you do it. This is the way we move forward. This is how you win in this league. This is how you be a professional. Um, maybe that's something that's appealing to him because also, you know, it doesn't seem to be the way things are trending. Um, it would seem like Jeremy Grant would be unlikely to remain in Detroit. So that type of veteran starter leadership guy would theoretically be that, that theoretically be a void he could fill. If that's something he wants, that, that'd that be different than what it would be in Dallas. Like, sure, the all-in-court role would be very similar to being the secondary ball handler to Cade as he is to Luka, but I mean, Luka is the solar system, the constellation, everything in Dallas, right? So maybe that's something that's more appealing. I, I don't think it would be for my understanding of Jalen. Yeah, Jaylen. if you were a
0: 25-year-old Jalen Brunson, I, I, that doesn't seem appealing to me, you know? like he's only had so many NBA experiences. He's not 30, uh, you know, at a point in his career where he's, he's kind of looking for something else. You know, he's, he's not, he's not a veteran on uh, the level of of David West or, you know, again, you know, pick whatever updated, um, you know, example, but, you know, he's still, uh, he's 25, uh, I believe. And, you know, he's Dallas is still achieving new things. You know, they're, I think on the verge of winning a first round series for the first time. This is only Jalen's second postseason.
1: They're they're. I mean, I fully expect them to win tonight. Um, we'll see if there's a a last big fight in Utah. But as we talked about at the top of the show, um, you know, there's just there's been there's been bad buys with the Jazz. You know, like when when I showed up to Barclays for Game Four the arena did not feel the optimistic energy that I felt there before game three and people on the ground weren't talking about the same type of, Oh, you know, if we win, you know, then we could tie it up at game four. And there just kind of seems to be in the general sense around the jazz is like, Oh, you know, people there are asking questions about what's going to happen this summer. What's going to be the front office structure after they get into the off season. How's Danny Ainge going to potentially put his fingerprints onto this organization? Like, there's not really, uh, I mean, I'm not there. Again, I'm not there, but from conversations around the league, there doesn't seem to be like a real rally and cry. This is our moment to, to win two straight and do the unthinkable and move ourselves forward in the second round. Right. And if I can jump off that, you
0: know, just to get back to, to Brunson's for agency, it, it, it was Brunson actually who coined immaculate vibes, quite the opposite of bad vibes. Immaculate vibes? I this little catchphrase. Yeah, and he's been dropping this. You know for i think a couple seasons now uh regarding the mavericks and you know again i I think that's more proof again i I can tell you i've talked to people in his camp i i know that he wants to stay in dallas i believe that um but you know if you want evidence that is you know very much out there jalen's been the guy who has who has coined immaculate vibes as a slogan on t-shirts that he wears around all the times like you know he really does enjoy his time in in dallas And, and i think the question is does somebody does another team value him monetarily financially more than the mavericks do and will they offer him that i I think that's the only question uh i think if money is even he's back with the with the mavericks if if the mavericks match whatever else is being offered there you know he's back with the mavericks The, the question is whether he would take a little bit less uh on a yearly basis to take that five-year extension that he wouldn't get uh you know you get four years with other teams um you know i think that's that's the big question um i i guess i guess even like what 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 do you think like what have you heard new york and detroit is valuing him at do you think this is the contracts that they would offer him that they would that would they would dangle uh you know to his agent for this upcoming free agency? Are, are we talking eight figures or nine figures, yeah. I should say? Are we talking 25 million a year over four years?
1: We're getting close. I mean, The yeah. original numbers were Lonzo Ball, Fred VanVleet, that 484 type range. And, I mean, it's definitely over 90, that's for sure. And I do think the fact that there's three teams involved, he's going to get to that 100 number. I do. So, um, does that mean that, you know, can Dallas get him at – Five one twenty, a little bit where John, a little bit below where John Collins was, um, so it's a little bit less AAV, but obviously twenty million more. Like, will that be the difference? Maybe right. to your point, but I, I do think I'd be shocked if his numbers on a hundred right now. I really would, just based off of what the interest is, and it's not, it's not really prevalent now, but next summer it will be. Next summer, twenty twenty three is basically going to be twenty sixteen all over again where teams are going to be prepared for a boon in the salary cap with the new TV deal coming into 2025 and teams are going to start being a little bit less reticent to cut some checks. Let's say, Um, I mean, I think every front office in the league right now is far more um, cutting edge and responsible and analytical than they were even just six years ago. Um, But I do think a team, if, if some player that they really covet, that they really desire, if their you know, bidding war gets up to a certain level that they might be a little queasy about, I could see a team saying, you know what, in two years when there's still three years left in that deal, if it's Dallas or there's still two years left on this deal, if it's Detroit or New York, as the new TV deal is kicking in, um, I, I could see those teams starting to think about that. But that's,
0: that's also why Dallas should retain at any price, right? You know, even if it's, even if the valuation is a little higher than their, they would otherwise be comfortable with, even if they can, you know, feel like they messed up by not extending him that 55 million contract extension when they had the chances to, which we can circle back to that and talk about that. But, uh, you know, Dallas has to retain him just for asset management. I, I think I think it's the thing that makes the most sense for their franchise. Brunson has quickly become their best option as a centerpiece of the deal for a larger star. And previously it would have been, you know, it, it you know, who Brunson was even a few months ago, didn't feel like, uh, you know, it didn't feel like he had enough value as a player to be the centerpiece for a true star, a true superstar should one become available. And again, we like superstars can come available in moments. It, it feels silly to even kind of speculate about which one, but you know, that Dallas is, you know, the, you know you, we all understand how Dallas operates and that they're always seeking out stars and that they're always wanting to be, like you know, Mark- <laughs> I mean, like, Brunson, Dinwiddie, Josh Green, and as many picks as you can offer, that's a more appealing deal than anything they had before the trade deadline, right? For who, though?
1: You've got Luka, right? So, I I see your point, but what type of player is going to become available that's going to be worth that package, honestly? I'm not to say, yeah. for, for, for Dallas's standpoint, like, I'm not to, like, I'm not sitting here saying Jalen Brunson is one of the top 30 players in the league, but just him in a first round pick, forget about the other guys. And even if you, I mean, no, add in Josh Green and add in Dinwiddie. Dinwiddie is a, a bit of a mixed bag based off of the intel of what happened in Washington. But, I mean, the names that come available are what? All star type guys who are typically. In their eighth, ninth year, either entering the end of their second contract, or the very be, or or um, or about to enter the third at the end of the second, who mm. want all the money that they can possibly get. And Luca is has proven an ability. I mean, let's be honest. This Mavericks team is good, but they're not full of world beaters. They're full of a lot of players who are limited bit players that. I mean, take your hat off to Jason Kidd's coaching job in terms of on the defensive side of the ball, but just a group that they,
0: they still Luka need one Elvins. player who fit, they, they still need one player who fits in right below Luca or maybe two spots below Luka, who bumps every role player kind of down one one spot in importance. Like yeah, they still, so That's a that's a
1: frontcourt guy, right? In your opinion,
0: probably yeah. Um,
1: yeah, I, I mean, I think it could be a perimeter player. Um, like they you know, were like, involved. Like they were very involved in the Miles Turner conversations before he got hurt. And right. um, I mean, obviously the Kristaps Porzingis trade was to try to create this big little pairing. Um, and the Dwight Powell lineups are fun. I mean, Maxi Kleba, I'm a huge huge fan of. Um, but to really have like a true like, if you put Clint Capella on that team. I'm not to say – I'm not to say he's, like, better than Jalen Brunson, but someone like that, I think, would just dramatically raise the ceiling of what Dallas could be on offense. And then if, even if you look at it differently, someone like Miles Turner, who's a pick-and-pop three guy who can ultimately create more space, like if you're talking about this raise-the-ceiling thing, you have a high pick-and-roll, him and Luka, he's popping out, and then Brunson's on the weak side, ready to attack and close out, all that type of stuff. Yeah, like that does kind of take – Dallas is um, sealing up to the next level. But to that point, if you put Jalen and Dinwiddie and Josh Green in a first in to get that pick, then you're kind of becoming a little top-heavy to the point where how, how much better does that really make you? Well, I,
0: I think it's I think it's interesting that you mentioned Clint Capella. You wouldn't need a trade at Jalen Brunson to get Capella, right?
1: No, there, yeah, you, but I was talking yeah. about – so, so why, that's what, why, that's what why, I was talking about. Why, why – why, put him in some huge package to go get that guy like what guy really is worth that that's gonna well, I, mean, I don't think I there's think, not that many in my opinion you're right you're right you're right I mean I think I think like the the
0: scenario is like Minnesota bottoms out the next year like they they as much as as good as they've looked recently they they look bad again the next couple of seasons and all of a sudden like Carl Anthony Towns is available maybe something like that again it's it's hard to predict like, I don't happen, that <laughs> I, I don't either I don't either but you know, like we, we've seen stars become available very, in very
1: short order. Right. Yeah. Is that fair? Like, yeah. It, it's sometimes hard I, I, to predict. Feel, I feel like the name but, that there is like the miles turners of the world. Right. Or like John Collins is a name that they've been linked to a lot in the past. And well, then, by all accounts, people expect people on the league expect the Hawks to really explore that trade market again this summer. So well, is that, John that Collins, back to really Collins worth, and yeah, Capella, how, how much is he worth for that type of deal? Like, are you, You're not putting Jalen in a deal to go get John Collins. Right.
0: But yes, no, you're not. You're not. You're you're obviously not. So why wouldn't you resign him? Why why wouldn't you feel that Luca Brunson and whatever combination of of players and assets it takes to get either a Capella or a Collins, you know, kind of a a B-tier big man? Yeah. Do you, like... Is, is that a better team than what Dallas has now I think there's an argument that could be made that, that that gives them a even higher ceiling and for
1: sure you know
0: if you have the Brunson you know like again it, I, I brought up asset management just to say that I don't think even if Brunson is being offered a higher contract than you're comfortable with that you can let him walk yeah, and, and I agree with he, you you would still ultimately be resigning him because you like the way that he fits on this team and you think he's a Great player to pair next to Luca, and then at one point, you know, even if you're paying him a little bit extra, it does make sense to maintain him also uh, for the potential that you would be making a, you know, a a a package for a, a star deal. Like it, it adds it adds to your flexibility to be able to do that if you have Brunson, but you're not signing him specifically for that. You're signing him because you like his fit next to Luca, and, and I think that you know they can make changes and tweaks around the margins they can add a big man who's better than uh what maxi or dwight powell provides uh and i think they can do that without you know needing to obviously without needing to trade brunson and i don't think resigning brunson would necessarily you know take away their flexibility to make a move like that you know they're not they're not coming up on cap space you know unless they unless they sell out for cap space for 2023 they're not going to have it. You know, they, they would have to make some, honestly, cap-clearing moves uh, to be a cap-space team here, here in a year. I, I, I haven't looked at the whole Excel spreadsheets in a while, but to my understanding, like, I think they could get there, but I don't think that's the smart way for them to position themselves. And so if, if that's the case, then why wouldn't you resign Brunson for really any price? And yes, you're going to try to get him for less than 25 a year annually. Uh, and you're going to hope that you can, you know, if that's what he's being offered by New York or by, by Detroit, you're going to hope that that fifth year can bring down the, the annual, the AP, the APB. That's the term, right? Yeah. You just used it. Um, you're going to hope that fifth year has a little bit of negotiating leverage for you, but it, it just, I, I don't see any scenario where it makes sense for Dallas to not resign him, unless we're talking like a sign and trade with New York that brings back RJ Barrett and I don't think he York's doing that.
1: No. Um, and to be clear, I believe that paying Jalen is worth it. I, I just was pushing back on the thought of paying him to then keep him to be the asset to go get a star. Cause like short of Giannis, who obviously the Mavs were on, on, on both knees hands up to God praying was going to sign uh, or wasn't going to sign an extension was going to test for agency last summer and, Obviously right. he does that, and then he wins the title and the rest is history, but like outside of someone in that tier saying, "I want to come join up with Luca and I don't know if that's going to happen that's not, that's not to say that people wouldn't want to play with Luca, but I mean, I just there aren't that many guys in the league, obviously, and I don't think any of them are really in a situation um that is going to go bust anytime soon. Like, Bradley Beal, I don't think, is worth that package for Dallas in particular. Um, for a different team, maybe, a, a team that doesn't have Luca, or for Philly, who's in a pretty clear, um, you know, championship or bust mentality, paying on an exorbitant roster, like, but, but it's different. I mean, they don't have a Jalen Brunson to trade even, too. Like That would be like a Manteese-Tiebel Tobias Harris type of situation. So, yeah. Um, but to your point about their long-term salary, like this new front office in Dallas is going to be very cap-conscious. I mean, we know for a fact that Mark Cuban is very tax-conscious. Um, I'm pulling up some data he right now. He says he's going to pay the luxury. He, he says he's prepared to pay the luxury tax next season.
0: And according there's to pretty this much no data, scenario.
1: According to the tax he data, hasn't, I'm he looking hasn't paid at, it since 2011. He hasn't paid it since 2011, 2012. Um, and, I
0: think I think that's interesting, to be clear. But I don't think that there is a single offseason you can look at and say, oh, the Mavericks could have done some things and chose not to because it would have sent them into the luxury tax. I think that their team-building strategy was flawed. I think it's been flawed for a decade, and I think it's hurt the team, and I think it's the reason that, you know, they're only now on the verge of winning a playoff series for the first time since the title run. But I, I don't I I am willing to give Mark the benefit of the doubt that it's genuinely been a team-building, it's been team-building reasons first or or lack of the right moves that has caused him not to go into the salary cap uh, or, sorry, to to go into the luxury tax. I I, I do, I, I will give him the benefit of the doubt that there hasn't been a need for him to do that over the past 10 years now sure. is it because of the it is because of the strategy he chose to really pursue these you know big name for agents without having an actual selling you know a way to sell them on dallas but i i do believe that um yeah and look they got
1: they do it. have if, relatively if Mark, clear books too if
0: Mark um doesn't go into the luxury tax this this summer i i I'm going to start listening a little bit more to the various rumors I've heard about, you know, just, just reasons why he might not have over the past decade. But I think
1: as of reasons, Tim <laughs> wouldn't you like to know? I would. That's why I asked. That, that's the type of content people are here for.
0: <laughs> it's uh, they're, they're, they're too distant and, and unconfirmed to, to, to drop here, but,
1: but you know, I, I
0: yeah. You gotta, you gotta do it. So, but yeah, I, I do believe like, I, I think he will. I, I expect the Mavericks to be in the luxury tax next year. Um, And I don't think there's any way that they wouldn't be if, if they re signed Brunson and I think they, they need to. And I think they know they need to. Yeah. How's, how's that for the, a summation?
1: It's good. And to be clear, like there was definitely very resounding messaging that Dallas sent to other front offices at at the trade deadline saying, screw off. We're not trading Dorian and we're not trading Jalen. We're keeping them both this summer. And, you know, but then, you know, they go out and pull the Dinwiddie Davis trade, which like people looked at and said, oh, I was clear insurance to see if, you know, if Jalen would want to leave elsewhere because he's he's, he's, he's not, he's obviously not an RFA. So he could could just choose to do whatever he wants.
0: Yeah, that's interesting that that's your sense of the messaging that Dallas's front office was doing giving Um, because so you saw the ESPN story about Brunson Tim McMahon's very good reporting. I, you know, the one detail in there that I did not know that I had not heard um, and it's a on the record directly cited to uh, to Rick Brunson Jalen's dad is that, you know, Jalen came to the marriage Jalen's camp. Came to the Mavericks in early January and said, "You know, Jalen. I knew that Jalen would have taken the the four year, fifty five million extension before the season had the Mavericks offered it. I did not know that his camp reapproached the Mavericks in January uh, with a willingness to extend then as well. And the reason the Mavericks didn't do that was not valuation. Like they may spend one hundred and fifteen over five years on Jalen this summer." Uh, you know, it's not that the Mavericks didn't believe that Jalen was worth $55 million. It's that they wanted to retain the flexibility of being able to trade him. And I don't see, you know, whatever Ma- Dallas is saying as a front office, that oh, we're not going to trade Dorian or uh, we're not going to trade Jalen. If that was actually true, they would have signed them both before the deadline. And if they had an opportunity to do that with Jalen, and Jalen was already progressing some this season, you know, they should have jumped at a attempt, you know, a, a offer of Four years 55 millions to sign to to sign jalen uh but according to rick brunson jalen's dad you know they declined so to me it seems very clear that maybe they weren't you know looking to trade them i definitely don't believe they're looking to trade either player but i think they thought it was a possibility um so you know that that may have been their messaging that that, that may be what you know i believe that they may have been saying that i, I just don't think logically it adds up assuming what brunson said what uh? What Rick Brunson said was true.
1: Yeah, I, to be clear, like just what Dallas tells teams that they hope and are confident they could do this summer doesn't necessarily mean that's what they do hope and believe. It might be, negotiating right. tactic, what have you. Um, right. But because 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 what I was going to say was trade perspective didn't he as Jalen Brunson insurance doesn't exactly project confidence. Like it is, it is pragmatic and. Um, strategic to do so in that doomsday scenario where he does leave, but if you were so adamantly confident he wasn't going to go anywhere, and th- then again, like they did, we talked about this, um, I believe on uh, old live audio platform I used to be a part of, um, that you know the Kristaps trade was something that just Dallas was looking for in general, and once once the Toronto deal um, was was off the table, that. Um, they had an opening with Dallas, and, you know, Dinwiddie's deal is fully non-guaranteed in year three, I believe. Um, maybe it's only partially. Um, uh, Berton's deal, I mean, shooters are movable. So now they've got two contracts in Tim Hardaway and Davis, who both the deals are descending, or I guess Davis goes up seven to $17 in 23-24, so never mind. But Tim's is descending. Um and as much as, you know, Buddy Heald has Heald di- was difficult for SAC to try to trade, and Duncan Robinson's name is going to come up a lot this summer, like, like shooters on big numbers do end up being pretty, pretty movable. So the Mavs will have a lot of flexibility to go different directions, regardless of what Jalen's number becomes. And I, I'd say that knowing that Tim's name was a name they were already throwing around at the deadline and seeing what other teams were, were, were valuing it at and, and trying to see if maybe they could use, they could have used him to go get Karis LeVert. So they're going to look yeah. a, a number of different directions. Yeah, I
0: definitely believe I, Tim's very movable. I, I, I might even put the odds higher that he's not with the Mavericks next season than that. He's back with the team. Um, yeah. But why do you say that? You know, I, you know, a descending guy uh who, clearly they've shown you know he'd be useful to this roster but i don't know if he's i don't know if the way they've played without him uh, makes it clear and also the way tim was playing this season makes it so obvious that they need him on this roster at the ex, or you know at the expense of what they could potentially get for him you know even if it's just a first round pick that would add to you know the potential for making a clip capella or john collins deal right
1: and that's not to say that Clint Capella is going to be available this summer in the spirit of the show's title. But um, <laughs> I, I, I do think John Collins is a name that could be very feasible for any team, let alone the Mavericks, being that he's right. never really seemed to have been secured in the future with Atlanta. And after losing like they did in the first round, um, a, lot of, a lot of people I talked to in the NBA are definitely expecting that trade market to be explored from the Hawks. Yeah. Anyway, just
0: to circle back to, to one other thing you said, I, I definitely don't view the Chris S. Porzingis trade as, for Dallas as being anything other than about Porzingis. That is fully the reason for the trade. And Dinwiddie and Bertons, they just felt was the best package they could get back, the most value they could get back. And I, don't, I also don't view Dinwiddie as a redundant guard with what Dallas is trying to do. I think they've been quite successful using all three ball handlers, sometimes together, but certainly keeping two on the court at all times. That's something that Jason Kidd and Igor Kozakov, you know, the guy who runs the offense, uh, have both been, uh, you know, very adamant about doing. About, you know, have felt like it's been a, a good addition to the team, if you will. And so, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't, you know, I guess you could view Spencer as as emergency. I just don't think the deal was done for that reason. I, I don't think Dinwiddie should be viewed that way. Um, so, again, all all that is to say that I, I don't see that deal as a reason to think that Dallas is already preparing for life without
1: Brunson. Yes. Um, I was just sharing a skeptic's point of view from rival front offices. That's fair. Rival offices. Um, That's, fair. Right. That's fair. 450, but we've run a little long. I've asked you a bunch of questions. I've asked you a bunch of questions all uh, all hour. Do you have anything you want to ask me?
0: Um, i I think I got my questions in as as we were kind of going along. <laughs> um, you know, do you have anything else fun to share
1: that's uh, Dallas related? <laughs> anything else fun to share that's Dallas related? Um, yeah. I mean, I know Tim McMahon talked about it on, I believe, Zach Lowe's podcast at one point. Um, In the conversation of, like, will the Jazz blow it up type stuff, there's definitely been some Rudy Gobert Dallas smoke that's been interesting to me, Um, especially being that Luca's kind of toyed with him and seemed to not really respect Rudy as a fearsome defender by any stretch, um, just based on body language.
0: Have you heard my theory about why... uh... I think Rudy isn't respected by his by other stars around the league.
1: Give it to me, because it's definitely a thing that people talk about. Yeah. Well, I think, I think, as with all things, that there are
0: multiple reasons going into this. Some of it is personality. I, I think there probably is some Eurocentric or Euro bias that uh, stars up. I think one aspect of this, and I think Giannis uh, dealt with the same thing, uh, if you remember his his whole tiff with uh, with James Harden, I think that stars like James Harden and and like just super skilled stars don't respect someone who can go to the line and shoot a normal looking free throw. Um, I think that there is there is you know I, I think the Giannis James Harden one sums it up best where James looks at you know Harden looks at Giannis and it's like this dude can't even make sixty five percent of his free throws this guy. You know, he's just an athlete and, and that's the only reason, you know, he just got born into the gifts that he uses. I don't really think that's fair or true. Um, but but I, I wonder if just the you know, Rudy goes to the line and, you know, the Mavericks are hacking him for a time. And, you know, I think there is probably some Eurocentricness to that as well, because like nobody ever disrespected Shaq, you know, who was also just absurdly physically dominant dominant and couldn't hit his free throws. But I wonder if these guys who have spent so much time working on their craft, uh, jump shooters, you know, players who get their points in some of the most difficult ways possible, just look at someone who's being purported as a star and he walks to the free throw line and he can't even knock down one of two uh, or he airballs it. And they're like, screw that dude. Like, like I worked for this. You're just tall and big.
1: Maybe. I don't think that's, well, yeah, I think it's I think a it's lot subliminal. about personality. Um, I, I mean,
0: yes, I think it's more about personality. I think Giannis is the one example. Because it's like, why would anybody dislike him except for, you know, he's not a dislikable person? Yeah,
1: you know, I think the Giannis Harden beef was a singular thing where they were both yeah. kind of MVP candidates at the same time and James wanted to take a swipe at him, standing in the way a bit of his candidacy being that I I do think that makes sense with him this guy just a freak of nature long athlete like what what skill does he have and to be fair like the skill development Giannis has had over the last two years let alone even just from last year to this year has been pretty impressive Um, the Rudy stuff I just think I mean I think it's part of what plays into a factor with uh, with the relationship with Donovan where like I mean, the defense is what it is. He's obviously one of the most generational defensive talents this league's ever seen. But when you throw the ball to him inside, like it's kind of similar to the Dwight situation back in Orlando, where he like, doesn't exactly have a bag he can go to and has a right shoulder hook, a, a shimmy to the left, a spin move. He doesn't have any of that. I mean, I mean that's, I that's basically what I'm saying, though. I just think
0: yeah. free throws, airballing a free throw is just like the perfect summation of that idea that this player is not skilled and I don't respect him. He's just athletic uh, and I don't respect him because he's not skilled in the way that I am, you know, and I'm saying like James Harden or, you know, one of these other superstars, you know, they know they're, you know, 0.0001% percentile of of skills. So for sure. All
1: right. Anyway. Well, thank you for hopping on here, man. Um, thanks for everyone who listened. Uh, we will be back on Tuesday. I don't know who the guests will be yet, but I want to see how these games unfold and what the uh, NBA docket is looking like. Um, I'm excited to tune in to Salt Lake this evening and maybe see Tim Kato's face on TV and see if the Utah Jazz actually do enter into this offseason or if we go back to Dallas for a game seven. So, Tim, you got to go back to Dallas regardless. Um, yes i hope you i hope you enjoy the game tonight and uh safe travels man
0: absolutely talk soon, for brother. everybody